Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Forget those Sunday night blues for a second with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicles in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. From the outside, this penitentiary looked like the model of capital punishment. Its inmates powered factories that made the prison a center of industry, manufacturing goods that were shipped across the country in a system that penal experts hailed as a masterclass in efficiency and an example for other prisons to follow. But on the inside, inmates told a different story. One of severe punishments for infractions as minimal as playing cards in their cells or, in some instances, for just speaking at all. Prisoners were immersed in ice baths, to which nausea-inducing chemicals had been added when they were suspected of faking illness. The beatings continued long after the prison claimed to have phased out corporal punishment, but when it eventually did, the alternatives were no better. Guards shifted their disciplinary methods to psychological ones, leaning on tactics like degradation, humiliation, and isolation to enforce penalties on inmates. Many were confined to the whole, the medieval-style dungeon that served as the prison's solitary confinement. Some were kept alone in the dark for ages. In one case, a man was kept alone in the hole for 12 long years. It's no wonder that stories of ghosts and hauntings abound here, a place that you can even visit yourself. So, let's head to Jefferson City, Missouri, and visit the bloodiest 47 acres in America, otherwise known as Missouri State Penitentiary. I'm Amy Bruni, And welcome to Haunted Road.
Missouri State Penitentiary was decommissioned in 2004 after nearly 170 years of brutal incarceration, but the stories of harsh punishments and austere living conditions still live on in the buildings today, in the people who come to visit the prison, and in the spirits who have stayed behind, replaying their years at what is sometimes called the bloodiest 47 acres in America over and over into infinity. The first state penal institution west of the Mississippi, Missouri State Penitentiary, opened in 1836. It's located in Jefferson City, today a city of about 40,000, midway between Kansas City and St. Louis on the Missouri River. Jeff City, as it's known to locals, was originally intended to be Missouri's capital as early back as 1821. According to the city of Jefferson's historical records, The town was incorporated in 1825, and the General Assembly moved there in 1826. At that time, the town had 31 families, a general store, a hotel, and a few other buildings. Other cities resented Jefferson's status and attempted to have the capital moved. Aiming to cement its status as Missouri's capital, Governor John Miller proposed the city as the site for a new state penitentiary in 1832. This would become the Missouri State Penitentiary. Its first inmate, Wilson Eitzen, was sentenced to over two years for stealing a watch valued at $39, about $830 today. Initially, the prison only housed male inmates, but began incarcerating women in 1842. Even outside the prison walls, the city has seen its share of strife over the years. In 1849, a ship carrying a mixture of Mormon migrants and gold rush hopefuls landed in Jefferson City. Some of the passengers were infected with cholera, and the resulting outbreak in the city lasted two long years. In 1855, residents waited to welcome the first train on the new Pacific Railroad line from St. Louis into Jefferson City, but it never arrived. A bridge collapse had caused a wreck over the Gasconade River that killed around 30 people and injured dozens more. During the Civil War, the state assembly voted to remain in the Union, but Governor Jackson refused to recognize federal authority and also refused to send troops to fight for the Union Army, instead raising a militia to join the Confederate Army. In response, Union troops took over the city. After the war ended, Missouri State Penitentiary built Housing Unit 4, commonly known as A-Hall for post-Civil War criminals who spent their days quarrying stone. The prison eventually expanded its industrial work, manufacturing products with prison labor. By 1885, according to sources, it housed six shoe factories, clothing, broom, and twine factories, and the largest saddle tree factory in the world. Located on a bluff overlooking the Missouri River, Missouri State Penitentiary is a collection of buildings ringed with a limestone wall two and a half feet thick, in parts as high as 30 feet tall, dotted with 11 guard towers. The wall itself is one of the oldest architectural structures in the city, with sections still standing today that were built between 1833 and 1835, before the prison opened. Although some of the buildings were torn down when the prison was decommissioned in 2004, including the chapel and warehouses, many remain, including multiple housing units and factories, as well as the gas chamber. Six of the prison cells date back to the 1840s. The oldest remaining building, A-Hall, was built in 1868 in the high Victorian Gothic style. The castle-like four-story building has cells that overlook a central hall. The isolation cells where prisoners were kept in solitary confinement are in the basement of that building. Housing Unit 1, built in 1905, was the female department of the prison. Above one of the arches leading inside was the biblical quote, He who converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Additional housing units were built about a decade later, and the prison added a gas chamber in 1937. Until that point, all of the executions, and there were many, were public hangings, with countless citizens of Jefferson City watching. The building housing the gas chamber has two viewing rooms and two cells inside. The white-walled gas chamber's steel execution chairs are still in place to this day. Also still on the property, the J.S. Sullivan Saddle Tree Factory building, constructed in 1892, Primeyer's Boot and Shoe Factory, originally built around 1889, which was burned in the 1954 prison riots and rebuilt in the 1960s, and the Hobby Craft Building, completed in 1968. Though the prisoners were employed in those factories, they were still subject to harsh treatment from guards, both in the factories and in the prison buildings themselves. Corporal punishment was rampant in the prison's earlier days. 
Inmates were routinely flogged for offenses such as playing cards in their cells and talking in the prison's shop, according to meticulous logs from the 1880s. According to an article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, four prisoners who had tools in their cells and tried to escape got the following punishment. One half of head shaved and leg irons. Conditions were bad even for those who weren't caught breaking the rules. By the late 1800s, according to the penitentiary's historical timeline, it was considered one of the most efficient prisons in the country, housing and feeding inmates for 11 cents per day. That's about $3.50 in today's dollars. By contrast, today, the cost of incarceration in America is about $108 per prisoner per day. However, efficiency in the Missouri State Penitentiary did not equal safety. Violence persisted within the walls, both from inmates and from guards. In one 1905 incident, an inmate, a guard, and a gatekeeper were killed, and three more men were wounded during an escape attempt in which four prisoners attempted to use nitroglycerin to destroy the prison's iron gates. Mistreatment from the guards wasn't just common, it was encouraged by prison officials. In a 1906 opinion piece in the Kentucky Post and Times Star, Warden Matt W. Hall called for hanging anyone who had committed a willful and deliberate murder and declared, I would amend the Constitution of the United States and unsex every man or woman as soon as the fact was established that he or she was a habitual criminal. I would let the second offense of larceny establish the fact. The prison claimed to have ended floggings and other corporal punishments around the turn of the 20th century, instead choosing to punish inmates by placing them in the hole, the dungeon-like basement isolation cells where the worst offenders were kept, including inmates on death row. These six-foot-by-five-foot cells were tiny and dark and could house prisoners for a very long time. Some inmates spent more than a decade in the hole. One man, J.B. Firebug Johnson, spent 12 of his 18 years in the penitentiary in solitary. Convicted of robbery, he attacked several guards and set the prison's harness shop ablaze in 1883, a fire which destroyed three buildings and left four convicts severely burned. Newspapers of the time reported that he spent his days training the cockroaches in his cell, as well as learning to read and to write. Eventually, he authored a book called Buried Alive, or 18 Years in the Missouri Penitentiary. However, in 1913, prisoners told the Washington Post that not only did flogging persist as a punishment in the institution, but that they were subjected to being held underwater in ice baths with a nausea-causing chemical added if they were thought to be faking illness to avoid prison labor. By 1932, Missouri State Penitentiary held 5,200 inmates, the largest inmate population in the United States. According to Atlas Obscura, it was considered one of the most successful prisons in the country. However, that is a far larger number of inmates than the prison was designed to hold, another fact that speaks to the quality of the living conditions inside those walls. Once the gas chamber was installed in 1937, it was the site of 40 executions, the first men executed in the gas chamber on March 3, 1938, were John Brown, 35, and William Wright, 32. Brown had been convicted of killing a police officer while holding up a bar, and Wright had killed an employee in a drugstore robbery. At least one prisoner executed in the gas chamber, 24-year-old Robert West, had helped to quarry the stone that built it. One man, Claude McGee, was executed in 1951 for a crime committed within the prison, he had beaten a fellow inmate, John Masson, to death with a hammer in the prison yard in 1948. Only one woman was ever executed at the Missouri State Penitentiary, Bonnie B. Hetty, who along with Carl Austin Hall kidnapped and murdered a young boy. They were both executed on December 18, 1953. Hetty would be the last woman executed by the federal government until 2021. The last execution at the prison of George Tiny Mercer was done by lethal injection in 1989. In 1954, a deadly riot shook the prison. At the time, the penitentiary held 2,575 inmates, almost 400 more than in 1932 when the prison was already considered to be deeply overcrowded. At the time of the riot, many prisoners had grievances, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, over bad food, dirty conditions, and an unforgiving parole board. An inmate later said that the cause of the riot was brutality, cruel and unusual punishment by the guards, and that the clothes they wore were raggedy clothes that didn't fit them, the shoes they wore didn't fit them, and you were shortchanged on medication there, too. Inmates in E-Hall lured guards to their cell, then overpowered them and stole their keys, proceeding to free other inmates from their cells. 
According to a history from the Missouri State Penitentiary, soon a large group of inmates was running loose, racing around the compound and emptying other cell blocks along their path. One group of inmates entered the dining hall, smashing windows and chairs. In the prison shops, anything flammable was set afire. Freed inmates didn't just enact revenge on the guards in the prison itself, but on fellow incarcerees. As violence ran rampant, one inmate in solitary confinement, 30-year-old Walter Lee Donnell, was tortured and eventually killed with a sledgehammer by fellow prisoners. Donnell was incarcerated for first-degree robbery and had testified against others. Called a stool pigeon, he had been stabbed while in the general population and was in solitary for his own protection. In an attempt to control the riot, state troopers responded and opened fire on the prison from the administration building with machine guns, killing three more inmates and injuring 19 others. Police forces eventually quelled the riot, during which no prisoners escaped. The damage, though, was extensive. Fires set by inmates destroyed a number of structures, including the prison's recreation building, vocational building, tobacco shop, license plate factory, and dining hall, which housed the chapel and the prison school. As Mike Lear described in his History of the Riot, the Truman Commission that studied the prison after the September 1954 riot used the word deplorable repeatedly in its report on the conditions and state of the facility. Despite the riot and the public scrutiny the prison then received, nothing inside changed. Seven inmates were convicted on murder charges, but all of them gave what were believed to be coerced confessions. A month later, Another, shorter riot occurred in October of that year, during which one inmate, 26-year-old Joseph R. Coffey, was killed by corrections officers. A new warden, E.V. Nash, was brought in after the riot, but violence and poor conditions continued inside the walls. Another wave of violence in 1964 finally prompted an overhaul of the prison when an administrative review condemned conditions inside. A day after the review, on December 18, 1964, Nash shot himself in the head in a house across the street from the penitentiary after returning home from a Department of Corrections Christmas party. A new warden and a new state director of corrections were hired, who saw to it that rehabilitation programs were improved, fresh food was provided, more shower rooms were constructed, and recreation facilities, including a handball court and miniature golf course, were built for the inmates. While conditions did improve over the years, one year in the 1970s, the penitentiary had 13 inmate homicides. It's said that overall, more than 2,000 people died inside the walls during the prison's operation. After operating continuously for over 160 years, the penitentiary closed in 2004, and inmates were moved to the nearby Jefferson City Correctional Center. Famous inmates over the years include political activists Emma Goldman and Kate O'Hare, boxer Sonny Liston, bank robber Pretty Boy Floyd, and Lee Shelton, the inspiration for the folk song Stagger Lee. Liston learned to box while incarcerated there, and his skills led to him being granted early parole in 1952. Another prisoner, James Earl Ray, successfully escaped the penitentiary in a bread truck in 1967. Just under a year later, he would go on to assassinate Martin Luther King Jr. An activist for the Socialist Party, O'Hare became a prison reformer after her release. She also reported that many of the women incarcerated with her in 1919-1920 turned to spiritualism. In letters home, O'Hare wrote, These poor victims of society feel that God takes no concern for them, and they are not strong enough to stand alone, so they find comfort for their sick souls in the belief that their dead comrades in misery come back to care for and protect them. In the weary hours after the lights are out, the cell house is peopled by many ghosts, but they are all kindly, comfortable, amiable ghosts who flit about all night on errands of mercy and love. She wasn't the only one talking about ghosts inside the penitentiary. Even before the prison closed, guards and inmates alike reported paranormal activity. Jamie Rasmussen wrote about the hauntings in her book on the Missouri State Penitentiary. When the prison still operated, she wrote, some guards reported hearing footsteps after all the prisoners were in their cells. When the guard would turn to look, he would see a shadowy figure that looked like it was wrapped in a blanket to keep warm. Others said Firebug Johnson still walked the halls. One former guard who began working there in 1989 told the News Tribune about an experience he had while working in the penitentiary. During a routine headcount, the guard said he saw an inmate with long blonde hair and a white t-shirt walk out a door. 
Thinking this inmate was trying to escape, the guard frantically searched the grounds and a parked supply van, but there was no sign of the man he had seen. Then he noticed another inmate watching him. I shut the doors and I'm like, what? And he goes, you ain't going to find that guy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw him. I said, what did he look like? And he said, he had long blonde hair and a white t-shirt. He says, Wells, we ain't got nobody in this building that looks like that. And I was just like, whoa, you're right. It felt like somebody had just punched me in the chest. According to A Paranormal History of the Prison by Kathy Weiser Alexander, throughout the old facilities, people have heard cell doors slamming, ghostly footsteps, loud banging, shadowy figures, the smell of cigarette smoke, objects being mysteriously moved around, and fast-moving entities. They also report having felt dread, a sense of sorrow, and a feeling of being watched. According to another book about hauntings in Missouri, one visitor saw the bloodied face of a prisoner looking out from the third tier of cells and asked to leave the tour. Apparitions of prisoners in old-fashioned dress, both male and female, have been reported, as well as sightings of orbs and even of UFOs. There have been many accounts of a woman wearing a long gray skirt and gray high-collared blouse in the women's prison area. Some have claimed to have sensed the spirits of children and dogs. At least one child was present at the prison for a time. According to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, in 1899, a woman named Maddie Scott begged a judge at her sentencing not to keep her away from her four-month-old daughter. The judge allowed her to take her child to the prison. A Hall, the oldest building on the site, is also said to be the most haunted. Reports of activity here include visitors being touched or scratched by unseen hands, the feeling of someone breathing down your neck, disembodied voices, strong smells, shadow figures walking between cells, apparitions, and electronics acting up. In the isolation cell where Walter Lee Donnell was bludgeoned to death, number 48, visitors claim to have captured an apparition of a man as well as having strange feelings. A spirit nicknamed Fast Jack, or occasionally Fast Harry, is said to show up in the housing units and control room as well as the tunnels connecting the buildings. Though he appears to be solid, even wearing a white lab coat and carrying a clipboard, he's sometimes seen moving through walls. Some believe that he once worked in the prison's medical facility, possibly as an inmate whose job was to escort fellow prisoners to and from the clinic. According to tour guide Mary Lacey, he has been seen by many people, and the description is always that he is walking quickly down a hallway with his back to the person. According to Kathy Weiser Alexander's haunted history of the prison, at one point a tour guide passed through the control center to secure the outer doors, only to return just a few minutes later to find all the lockers had been opened. This antic was attributed to Fast Jack. It probably won't surprise you to learn that the gas chamber is one of the most haunted places on the grounds. Visitors report hearing groans and cries in the spaces, as well as women's whispers. Some claim that the ghost of Bonnie B. Hetty, executed in 1953, still lingers in the gas chamber. Hetty was notoriously talkative until the end, telling the guards who were tightening the straps on the gas chamber chair what was variously reported as, it's all right, or it is tight, and I'm not going anywhere. She also said goodbye to the prison guards and asked Hall, are you all right, honey? Reporters noted that the two kept on talking to each other even after the door to the lethal chamber had been sealed. Paranormal investigator Dan Terry claims to have made contact with the spirit of George Tiny Mercer, the last person to be executed in the gas chamber inside the space. To talk more about the hauntings at Missouri State Pen, I have Diane Kitchell coming up next. She's been a ghost tour guide there for years and has built up quite the rapport with the spirits there. She has some downright terrifying experiences to share, so we'll get to those after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I am now joined by Diane Kitchell, who is a ghost tour guide at uh, Missouri State Penitentiary. And I have no doubt she has no shortage of stories to tell us. So thanks for joining us, Diane. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. You know, so I um, I have investigated Missouri State Penitentiary I, probably half a dozen times over the years, and I have never been in there and not had some sort of experience. I have experienced shadows. I have experienced banging sounds. I have experienced the sounds of doors sliding shut off in the distance. I mean, it's just never ending. And so you must have the most fun job ever. Oh, it's the best job on the planet. Yes, indeed. (laughs) What would you say is probably the paranormal report that comes out of there more than anything else? A lot of people get their hair touched or pulled, especially the uh, pretty young blondes. That Mm. happens quite a lot. Um, We do get scratches on some people, seeing things out of the corner of their eye, good old Mm. peripheral vision. There's not many places that I go into and I feel scared or, you know, but, and I don't feel scared at Missouri State, but I definitely do get sometimes kind of like an anxious feeling or like always looking over my shoulder, but also sometimes I just feel sad. Like I just feel like sadness. And so it must be kind of interesting because I know that during the day you guys have historical tours and then at night you have the ghost tours. And so when people do the ghost tours, what kind of experiences do they have? Well, that runs the gamut. We've had, you know, everything from thinking they heard whispering or maybe got in touch to seeing a full-blown shadow figure mm-hmm. or peekers, as we like to call them sometimes. they Sometimes they like to lean out of the cells and just kind of check you out and go, oh, greet them again, you know, <laughs> and they'll be about back in, but What would you say is maybe the most compelling experience that you've had in Missouri State? Somebody explain doppelgangers to me because they freaked me out. Two Mm. years ago was the year of the doppelganger at MSP. I mean, we'd, we'd gotten them once in a while. We would hear something mimicking one of us. Or we would, you know, maybe once a year, once every year and a half, we would see a double Mm. of someone. But two years ago, it was just bananas. One guide saw me standing at the back of her tour, texting on my cell phone, and her daughter happened to be working the tour as well. So she texted her mother, who was working the gift shop. And said, why is Diane on this one's tour? And they go, uh, she's not. She's in the lobby starting her tour. That's bizarre. I have seen them of our police officers. I think they mimicked our police officers, our security at night more often. And my personal theory on it was that they were mimicking them more so because Unlike a guide who is with one tour the entire night, the security kind (laughs) of, pardon the term, floats Mm -hmm. between tours and they don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time. And they just freak me out. You don't know you've seen one until you see the real person somewhere where it's absolutely impossible for them to have been when you just saw them, you know, over there. That's very strange because 
I mean, I've heard of doppelgangers and I've experienced spirits mimicking like us, like our voices or our uh, equipment, but I've not heard of it being so prevalent in one location. And it makes me wonder like what's happening with the energy there or what did they discover that they could do that made them want to do that. I mean, that's, that's such an interesting and really odd report. And not to mention that how many times did you interact with a doppelganger and not realize it and think you were interacting with that person? Like those are only the times you noticed, like how long had that been going on? There is no interaction with a doppelganger. Mm. We have seen enough of them to know they've always got a very blank, flat affect. There's no facial expression. Their face is totally there. It's not weird looking or anything it looks exactly like that person but they just you know show no no emotion no anything and they do seem to kind of move a little bit differently they don't walk you know with that kind of up and down bob like human beings do when they really walk (laughs) well that is super creepy (laughs) yes so you're saying though that was a couple years ago it was happening all the time but now it seems like it's not happening as often Right. It's died back, but, you know, I do like to tell the stories on my tours. And when you've got, you know, well over 20 people, if not over 30 people in your tour group, who's to say there isn't one sitting there listening to the tour? Because we don't all know each other. We never saw each other until you walked through the doors. (laughs) That's really (laughs) wild. Well, I think I was there, actually. I feel like I'm trying to remember when we were shooting... With ghost hunters there, I want to. I feel like it was a year ago. I don't think it was two years ago, but I don't feel like I remember hearing that. It would be funny though if any of the ghost hunters team appeared to me as a doppelganger. <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. I would know instantly because I know them all very well. <laughs> Doppelgangers, check. That is uh, really interesting. Now. I had a, a very non-par. This is just a story. It's not paranormal, but it did happen to me at Missouri State. And it's a story that Adam and I tell quite often. We were filming there. It was like, oh gosh, it was a summer years ago. And they were doing one kind of one of those like back of the van scenes. And Adam and I were not partaking in that conversation. So we were just kind of standing off to the side. And we hear this huge bang in the building behind us. And so we're like, let's go. Like the camera crew was busy. So we just grabbed a camera and we went in by ourselves with a camera and we go up the stairs and we're following this sound and we keep getting closer and closer and we're hearing this like movement. And I'm like, gosh, is there someone in here? Like, and we get up to the top, you know, it's like that first set of stairs that you go in and they use that office area a lot now for like crafty areas and um, snacks and stuff. We go past that and there's a garbage can at the end of the hallway. We hear this and we we get up to it. And I'm like, it sounds like it's coming from the garbage can. And so we get to this can and I shine my flashlight in there. And this raccoon that was like easily as lo- big as a large dog was not like running away. It literally jumped out at us like it was coming for us like it wanted to eat our he wanted to eat our faces off and so adam and i we sprinted down that hallway we jumped we cleared those stairs like and that thing followed us and then it went up into the ceiling so all night when we would go in to get crafty in the office there there's those like tiles it was just staring at everyone So whenever people ask me, like, what's one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me on an investigation, I tell them about the raccoon that wanted to murder us at Missouri State Penitentiary. So so I'm sure you've encountered those many times. But the other thing I encountered, though, that was um, less murderous but scary was uh, the shadow figures. And they're tall shadow figures. How often do you see those? Well, I would think Missouri State Penitentiary is maybe like other haunted places it's not you know like on a timeline or anything sometimes you're in there and it's just quiet as a church and then sometimes the activity's just off the rails but shadow figures i know we see them weekly for sure yeah and like you were saying you called them peekers and they do that thing where they kind of like looking to see who's on patrol or something i mean i'm generalizing i'm basing that on what i feel might be happening but like you said you'll see them kind of look down at you down the hallway 
And um, <clears throat> I just, it, it does seem like they're kind of trying to see who's on duty at that moment. And now, what would you say is probably the most haunted area where people would experience the most activity if they go visit? Oh, well, like I said, it can shift mm-hmm. anywhere, but in general, I would say the most reports either come from the dungeon and housing mm-hmm. unit four or the 3D section, which is administrative segregation below death row and housing unit three. Last time we had been there, I do feel like they had unearthed some very old cells. Have you had any activity around those or did anything pick up when they kind of dug those out? I think it might have picked up just a little bit when we first opened them to the public, got mm-hmm. them all finished, but then it's kind of died back down again, maybe. So I don't know, maybe they welcomed the new guys in and. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is really strange because they're just, they were just there that whole time. And it just kind of goes to show how far back the history goes there. Now, another area that I have a real problem with, and I don't even think I went in there last time because the first time I went in there, I I couldn't stand it, is the gas chamber. And I've distinctly heard whispers in there, but I don't know if it's just the energy of what went on there or what, but do you include that in your tour? Do people get to go in there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's the uh, usually the last uh, half hour of the two hour tour would be going down to the gas chamber. Have you had experiences there? I myself really have not. That's always been a very quiet place for me. Now, wait, I did have one. Yeah. uh, Not very long ago. It was a private group and they were there were three guys, two gals. And they were live uh, casting to Facebook. Mm. And we were in the gas chamber. And one man was sitting in Carl's chair. The other man was sitting in Bonnie's chair. Bonnie Brown, Hetty, and Carl Austin Hall that were executed together. Right. And, you know, they were kind of asking Carl and Bonnie related questions. And I was just standing there watching and listening. And, of course, these guys were both in the chairs doing the Estes method. I might have forgot to mention that, but mm. they both both had on the blindfolds and the noise-canceling headphones and into SB7s. And the guy that was sitting in Carl's chair just kept kind of making these faces, and he wasn't, you know, spitting out any words. And finally, he just said, well, this is me. And he said, I'm not hearing a single syllable, but I am just getting these waves of emotions and so the guy next to him that was sitting in bonnie's chair he'd spit out a word you know random words and some of them were relevant some weren't but i'm not that fond of bonnie Mm. (laughs) for Mm. many reasons and she probably knows it but um he said something that was very pertinent something that i had just mentioned in a story to them as i was taking them down the hill and I looked at him. I, it just came out. I said, oh, you bitch. Because oh. I knew who was speaking. And yeah. his face turned towards mine. He couldn't see me. But mm-hmm. His face turned towards me. And he says, I know you. That's one of my favorite methods of communicating is doing that, the Estes method, the spirit box experiment that we do on Kindred a lot. And that's actually really fascinating to do it in the gas chamber and have them both go under like that. Adam and I have done that a few times. It's always very interesting, but that's disconcerting. It's bizarre that she knows you that well. Oh, well, we call the guys our co-workers because we're in there all the time. You know, yeah. and we, we do treat them with respect. I said, people probably think I'm nuts. But, <sighs> you know, when I go in there and unlock and I'm the first one on the property and I'm unlocking buildings, I'll open the door and say, hey, fellas, good evening. You know, we're going to have so many tours through here tonight and be out of your hair at this time of day. And I mean, that's smart because you want to set the expectations so they know because they could get more volatile if you don't, you know, give them those expectations as you begin. And, you know, speaking of that, you said that sometimes people get scratched. What leads to that? Why do you think certain people get scratched there? 
I really don't know because it's a mix. It's it's males and females. I can't say it's one age group or another, but it's 99.9% of the time it happens in that dungeon. Now, remind me where the dungeon is. I think I know where it is. I think it's... It's downstairs in housing unit four in the oldest okay. building. Yes, yes. All right. I think Adam and I went down there last time we were there. Yeah, you have to walk through the shower room. And yes. then there's a doorway yeah, that opens up into that section. So. Yeah, that's a real yeah. wild area. We saw some lights down yes, there, like light yes, anomalies. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. So is that something that people see often? Because I, I don't think they even told us about it. I just happened to see it. Yep. They look like little twinkly Christmas lights. Yes. I've seen that one other time on the USS Salem, but these ones, the, the ones I saw down there, it was almost like a green kind of glowing. I mean, it wasn't a firefly, clearly, but it was like this kind of like green glowing little orb or something. And I was like, am I seeing things right now? Another of the guides, once in a while when we go down there, it's a darndest thing. And I've even talked to eye doctors trying to, you know, figure out the physiology of the eyeball or something. But we will go down there and and shut out the light, you know, pitch black. But we will start seeing this red glow. Hmm. And we can't figure out where it's coming from or what's causing it. That's bizarre. I haven't experienced that either. I feel like the energy at Missouri State is just so different like than what you would experience at most places. And you can feel that when you're there. Now, wasn't it recently struck by a tornado? Yes. May 22nd, 2019. It was actually the eighth anniversary of the Joplin, Missouri tornado, which was horrible and devastating. But yeah, took off the back third of the roof of housing unit four, which we now finally, thankfully, have gotten replaced and she's undercover again and everybody's happy. I remember that area being really wild too, because you can stand up on the top and just kind of look down over the entire space. And it's a really great vantage point as an investigator if you're looking for movement or a great spot to put a camera. So have you been able to reopen it now for tours? Because it wasn't open when we were there filming last. We're open on the flag walk, which is the main walk, and then down to the shower room and the dungeon cells. But the upper second and third and fourth tiers we do not have open yet we've oh. uh, got to do quite a lot of cleanup up there yet we'll we'll get it done but it's it's a process it's a testament to you guys because i know people work so hard there you have so many wonderful volunteers and i love that so many of the people involved are former employees of mm -hmm. the building or or former former correctional officers and it really just kind of goes to show like the the level of love and that everyone has for the history there which i think is very important that people know about when the tornado happened did you think that that kind of did anything activity or energy wise to the buildings we kind of wondered we went oh it was within two or three days i know of the tornado happening it was, of course, locked down. Nobody was going in. And we were just, of course, devastated. You just pulled our rug out from underneath us. And so a couple of us went to the front steps. We could access those and took a SB7. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were asking them, are you guys okay? Oh. Is everybody still here? We're sorry we can't get in there. We're going to get, you know, get in there as soon as we can. Is everybody okay? And it, one thing that came across, it was very clear. It said, windy. With that in mind, like the way that you talk to them, just in your experience, in your opinion, why do you think these spirits are remaining there of all places? I get asked that on the tours, and it's like people don't think about it. When you think of a penitentiary, you think, ooh, bad place, don't want to go there. But one of our famous inmates, Sonny Liston, used to chastise other inmates when he would hear them, you know, complaining about the situation or their conditions or all this stuff. And he said, you guys have absolutely nothing to complain about. You have clothes, you have shoes, you have a bed to sleep in, you get meals, you have a job, you have a roof over your head. No. And I think this place was just the best home some of these men ever had. That makes me sad. Yeah. I have heard stories of, you know, when people leave or are released that 
there's just such this kind of uh, routine and semblance of normalcy is what happens when eventually as, as they're in there for years. And like you said, some of them just come from very broken situations and then they're just released into the world. And, you know, there is not that routine to guide them anymore. There are repeat offenders that, that get out and do something just to get back in because right. they cannot handle it on the outside. Yeah. I mean, I, I never thought of it that way. I've also, I've always wondered too, if there were some people that just kind of had this self-imposed sentence, like they just felt as though they hadn't right. completed their time. And I think that's true because, you know, using the voice box or whatever apparatus to get them to speak to us sometimes uh that really makes me sad too when you get into one of those little conversations with them and it's like no you know i can't i i did this or i hurt somebody or something and we're like you know well i tell people all the time when they investigate prisons in particular i I tell them to cast their judgment aside because you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know how they got there, why they are there. Some of the reasons people were incarcerated, you know, especially way back when, were not things you would be incarcerated for now. You know, we're talking about like, you know, owing two or three dollars in taxes or something, you know, and so you don't know who you're talking to, how they ended up there, why they're there. So I always tell them to start their investigations in prisons from a place of compassion and kindness. Talk to them about, you know, what do they like to eat? How do they like their steak cooked? Do they like broccoli? Whatever, other stuff like that. Do not go into a penitentiary to investigate and say, what did you do to get in here? That's none of your business. And you'd have been punched in the face at the very least if you were in a real penitentiary and walked up to somebody and asked that. You don't do that. No, that's very true. You know, I, and that's great insight for people who do who do want to investigate those places. I mean, now if something comes at me and pushes me or something, now that's a different story. You know, my mom, Amy, voice is going to come out. I uh, had to come out uh, Friday night. Oh, what happened? Well, it was really interesting. We had about a dozen people. It was a private tour, and myself and another guide, he suggested we take them down to Creepy Town, 3D. So we go down there and just get to the bottom of the steps, and we're sitting in the window sills, and he had everybody turn out all their lights, you know, just any bare minimum of ambient light that came through. It's pretty dark. Yeah. But in that darkness, I could see... In my peripheral vision, I could see three or four figures, shadow figures, moving between me and the door. Hmm. And then I said, you know, one got a little close and I said, okay. And then a man that was standing not far from me, he said, are you seeing shadows over there? I said, yes, thank you. Okay, validation. It was like I could see their feet and it was Hmm. like at my two o'clock position. And I was like, that is so close enough. I said, you stop right there. You do not have permission to mess with me. I will not tolerate it. You need to back up. Well, you got to talk to them like there's someone in front of you invading your personal space, you know, like a live person. You do have to create those boundaries. So, well, I think you've given some great advice to investigators today. Now, if people want to visit Missouri State, investigate, support it, what do they need to do? They need to go to the website, MissouriPenTours.com all spelled out and um, click on the tours. We have history tours during the day. We have the ghost tours in the evenings and uh, we'd love to have you. We've had people worldwide and we love meeting new people and introducing them to our favorite place. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And as I said to everyone, please go support this wonderful place. It's a really important piece of history and it just happens to be amazingly haunted as well. So (laughs) thank you so much, Diane. I appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. Of course. I've probably investigated Missouri State Penitentiary half a dozen times at this point. It never disappoints when it comes to activity, but I've definitely moved from viewing it as a place to get scared and more of a place to interact with the spirits with a goal in mind. That goal? To find out who they are specifically, why they're there, and what, if anything, we can do for them. 
It's an important place, historically and paranormal-wise, and something tells me that in the spirit world, those seemingly quiet cell blocks are just as busy and bustling as they were when it was in operation. I highly recommend seeing it for yourself, and I won't even judge you if you choose to do a daytime tour instead of visiting after the sun goes down. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni. Additional research by Taylor Hagerdorn. The show is edited and produced by Rima Elkayali and supervising producer Josh Thane. And executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.